I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What is the creator economy and why should you care? What's the difference between creators and publicity? Can creators help change minds and make the world a better place? Today, we're speaking with someone who can answer these questions and more. Vicky Chowney is the Global Head of Content at Hill & Knowlton Strategies, one of the largest public relations agencies in the world. Today, she'll be our guide as we try to understand how creators have become today's influencers, what topics they cover, and how they differ from celebs and others that we've seen in the past. So welcome to this, the episode of the Everything is Better with Creators podcast, where we'll go deep on purposeful content with someone who knows all about it. Roll the intro, please. Everything is better with Creators, the podcast that takes a deep dive into all things creator economy. Produced and presented by Whaler. Whaler, we power the creator economy. With your hosts, Ashley Rudder, Emma Harmon, Jamie Goodfriend, and Marco Batosi. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Everything is Better with Creators. I'm Marco Bertozzi, your guide to all things happening in the creator economy. Every week, myself or my colleagues, Emma Harmon, Jamie Goodfriend or Ashley Rudder will be hosting this podcast. Coming up, we're getting right into this episode with our big interview with Vicky Chowney from Hill and Knowlton Strategies. And now it's time to bring up the headliner of the evening, The Big Interview. Everything is better with creators. I'm really excited to have a good friend of mine, Vicky Chowney, who is Global Head of Content and Publishing at Hill & Nolte Strategies. So thank you very much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Happy to be here with you. It's been, I think the last time we saw each other was when we used to do big conferences like CES. I know, in person. I remember the days. But they're coming back. I think Cannes is, is, is looking to shape up nicely this year, so that's exciting. Yes, and uh, Whaler will be there uh, in force. Uh, we, are, nice. we are there on the beach. We have uh, uh, Ad Week hosting all their events with us uh, in our cabana. So, yeah, we're really excited about the content we've got lined up. Awesome. So, thanks uh, thanks again for joining us. Why don't we start at the start, Vicky, and why don't you tell us a little bit about you and, and your role at Hill & Nolte? Sure. Well, I am an ex-journalist, but truly I'm an agency person through and through. And, in fact, most of my career has been spent at H&K, uh, I joined London in 2015 and I'm now based here in New York. 
Um, for those who don't know us, uh, we're one of the communications agencies within WPP. And as you said in that intro, I look after our content and publishing strategy team globally. So that really covers um, who we work with. So whether that's you know, rich branded content, partnerships, creators, uh, what format that content takes. So, you know, truly are we making experiential work or are we building social content and then also where it lives. So really looking at those audience behaviors and trying to understand where we should put um, that lovely content so that people get to see it. Um, I also oversee our innovation and creative team in the US, which then kind of expands my remit over here to cover creative strategy, creative direction in our studio and digital planning and optimization. The more fun answer is I love tiny tattoos. I own a mini Dachshund and food is my love language. Well, one could describe us as opposites uh, as I have a Great Dane instead of a, a Dachshund. So uh, yeah, we're, we're at both ends of the spectrum when it comes to the dogs. Um, yes. Well, let, let's start at the start. So um, we, for the listeners, we had, a, we had a chat previous to this and you talked a lot about how at, at its heart, we're always looking for people that have influence, right? We're, we're looking to associate with them. How did that look? So you've been obviously in the industry now for for some years. Let's leave it at that. Uh, how did it look, say, five, ten years ago, that, that idea of influence? How did you sort of think about it in, in your role? Yeah. I mean, ten years ago, things were really just starting to get interesting because back then I was ready to jump back into the world of agencies. So... I had moved out of tech PR into journalism because a lot of the UK organizations weren't quite ready to jump headfirst into what we were calling new media at the time. Um, and I realized that the only real way to get into discussions around strategy and planning was to write about the more global brands doing cool stuff in that space. Um, but when you fast forward back to 2012, say, everyone was starting to really get into it. You know, enough people had blazed a path um, that there was some really good case studies and social was the de facto chatter and digital influencers at they very much, as they very much were at the time, definitely not creators yet, were starting to create real headway. Um, and it was very much all about your forums like um, those that exist around parenting bloggers or your kind of YouTube megastars. Mega that was kind of what digital influence was at that time. Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because we, um, at Whaley, we talk about niche communities of influence. And I guess, so back then, what the, what would have been the sort of the equivalence there? I guess that was, there, there was some equivalent. They probably lacked maybe yeah. the scale of today. But who, who would you have dealt with in those days? Well, I think it's kind of an evolution, right? So the, the, the go-to in your head, if you're thinking about it from a consumer perspective, perspective at least, you know, your, your influencer used to be your celebrity, your talent. Then it became, you know, the, the, the onslaught of reality stars and the opening up of like people's lives and the acceptance of normality being a very powerful topic. And so social media kind of made it possible for anyone to emulate that. And lots of people did it really, really well. 
Um, and because I, th I think that that basic human connection still rings true. Like people are magnetized to communities because of that sense of belonging. So what you start to see is like old school forums getting bigger and new functionality, new kind of functionality took them to places like Reddit or Mumsnet. And they were entirely replicated on faster platforms. But at that time, it was very much about people congregating around topics because for the first time, that access to them was easier than ever. And so when, you know, we were planning back then and, and still to this day, I would say, you know, you're looking at those shared values that you want to try and run after and try and dig into and then understand where people are talking about those things. Um, and back then it very much looked like this kind of forum group model. Um, and it was really powerful. People were having super interesting conversations and using that as a platform to then build larger um, kind of followings and communities around their own kind of passions, really. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I was actually having a conversation yesterday about this where I think you know, certain platforms like TikTok have encouraged the creation of these very specific kind of either cause-based or interest-based groups. And I think, we, you know, we talk a lot about these sort of niche communities and very specific communities. Mm. Is, is like, does celebrities still have a role or is it, are we moving away entirely from that kind of positioning where, you know, perhaps there's some cynicism about whether a celebrity is really enjoying that coffee or doing something, you know, related to a brand. Yeah, I think there's, there is, I think there always has been healthy cynicism. I think the ability to see people's cynicism is now easier than ever, because all you have to do is go and look at the comments on, you know, any post anywhere, and people are questioning it. They're more savvy to that because they've had, you know, 30 to 40 years of, being bombarded with that kind of marketing and comms so the cynicism is definitely there and it just puts further emphasis on doing partnerships that are rooted in genuine shared values and actually you know even a celebrity they are they're real people um, you know they have their own loves and projects and passions and things that they care about and if you can find those connected those connections then you can do something that isn't something to, to you know, be sceptical of. It's just a, an extension of what they really love and what they do. Of course, if you're just looking at someone as you know, creating headlines or um, tapping into a, a big amount of reach, it's going to fail. But to be honest, it always was like that. And when we think about how we work with creators nowadays, we have to apply the same thinking. You know, it's about really finding people who care about the same thing as the brands or organizations that you work with and if you fail on that it's going to look um it's going to look awkward and it's going to feel uncredible so I, I think that has always existed but it's now even more prominent yeah so you, you, the idea and this is uh, something just building on that i guess that that idea that people you know, can can see things more easily. They can obviously react and comment. And at the same time, brands are, you know, moving much more towards this sort of cause marketing and, you know, standing for stuff. How, how do you manage that sort of the brands you work with 
you know, do, do, is it best to stay at steer? Are you picking brands now that you work with that, you know, definitely stand for certain values and so on? Or um, do you think we, you know, we have a job to do to represent, you know, all brands and we just have to do it differently? I think that, so our part of H&K's kind of um, way of working is a belief in what's called 3P comms, which is the idea that, yes, you can talk about the performance of a brand, but or organization but does that really create any point of difference when so many products and services are the same it's actually when you layer on brand purpose and look at that in partnership that you can really drive preference so we go into every single brief thinking about what that purpose is and i very much believe that if you spend enough time with a business you can understand what they want their legacy to be in the world. And of course we have like pretty much every agency in the world, certain types of business that we won't work with, but I think it's our responsibility to help people understand the connection between what they believe their business purpose or brand purpose is with what their audiences and customers are now expecting from them um, and trying to work out how to talk about that in a way that takes the kind of very credible things that a business is doing and pair it with what people are using now to make decisions about whether they advocate or buy from a from a business. Yeah, really fascinating. Going back to the um, this sort of topic of influence and how it's changed. So, how do you feel? You know, looking at things today, how does it look and feel different? when you think about kind of the makeup um, of creators and what they're tapping into and kind of, you know, why, why they're becoming the, these, these in, in some cases, huge followings that, as, as we've discussed, not all of them, but how do you think it sort of looks and feels different today than perhaps five, five years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the first thing and the most obvious thing is the language around it. So, you know, we're truly in the age of the creator now. Um, and I think that's all about um, the technology that's now available to us and the access to it. You know, tech is so good now that anyone can do this. And the tricks of the trade are no real, they're no longer tricks. Um, you know, it's not about working the algorithm and trying to post something that ticks these three boxes because we think it might therefore get shown to more of the community. It is a, it's a reputable business and you can make a career out of it, making a proper business plan around how you get partnership and sponsorship support and you apply paid spend and you lean into all of the tools that help you to amplify your content. Um, so it really is about the creation piece. And I think the other component to that is that it's not looked down upon as a career anymore. You know, you can really make content that actually impacts reputational change and makes a difference. And I think now we are seeing that from a generation that's grown up with this as being the norm. And when that's combined with their desire to not just sit back and watch what's going wrong with the world, we're seeing real representation in the creators who are coming to the fore. And I think that's super important because they're in this perfect storm of everything being set up for those who feel strongly about something 
to really be able to impact it but do it in a way that means that they can make it their profession you know they don't just have to do it as a side hustle and that's really important because if you can't make money from what you're doing it's then really really difficult to be an activist or talk about a topic that is really important so I think it's great for us and certainly me in an agency to try and lean into those types of communities and understand how we can support that by funding the ability to make that content. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Exactly. And, you know, way we talk about powering the creator economy for that you know, for that exact reason. Um, but also alongside that, you know, that it's it's making sure that pay is equitable and fair. And, you know, there's there's there feels like there's been a lot of growing up in the industry around, you know, yeah. some of those really important topics. I saw a stat somewhere the other day around a sort of two hundred percent increase in uh, in the US of people registering themselves as creators as their um, you know, on their tax certificate, their career, basically. So, you know, it's definitely playing out in the mm-hmm. in the numbers as well. Yeah, I, I, I guess agree. from your 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 part of a wider comms business, you know, where we specialise um, in creator marketing and, and talent management. How has how has creator marketing disrupted or enhanced what you do as a uh, within your within your business? So, I mean, it's absolutely enhanced it. And for me, it's been this really interesting organic journey to to be part of, because for me, the role of agency now is as curator. So the ecosystem of creators, including all types of creator in that, and not just from a consumer perspective, but celebrities and top tier talent, industry thought leaders, business thought leaders, as well as kind of more topic-based experts or creators and right the way down to like micro-influencers and people like me. I think each part of that ecosystem has really amazing specialists connected to them who will be adept at finding the right people and making the biggest impact based on what the brief is. And so for me, you know, working in partnership with the right people in each part of that space, it enhances the output. And we as an agency understand the reputational impact of how that comes together, but we're then almost like the conductor of an orchestra and we understand how things can work in harmony. I don't feel the need to get out there and like play the double bass. I feel the need to stay in my position of like, okay, how can this come together and work best? And I think that for me is kind of a disruptive thought um, from an agency perspective, because some people would assume that, you know, you're not going to make any money unless you're doing everything. 
Whereas actually what I think we've seen because of the creator economy is that we need to break down those barriers and stop thinking about being everything and more about where we can add strategic value. So that's kind of where I've landed and that in itself, I think is kind of disruptive. Yeah, and I think, um, and you know, a big part of that, and obviously uh, very much part of your your role and title is is around that kind of the creation of content and the creativity that that goes with that. I'm just thinking, you know, we, we're we're looking at different models in which brands and advertisers are working with us when it comes to the creativity side of it and yeah. uh, the content that gets created. How how is that working with you? Like, how are you how is that content creation changing, I guess, with the, with the creator economy and, and these creators taking such a, you know, a step forward? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a wonderful thing. And we, of course, still get some briefs come in where it's purely creator focused. But I think the more interesting um, briefs from a creative perspective is where we are being asked to do integrated work. And that's when it's a hugely, hugely additive part of our process. Um, and I think it's partly because of the way that we use specialists in-house. We're able to overlap like industry expertise with our creative team and then someone who understands creative um, from a creative perspective. And I think having the reputational knowledge, that conceptual thinking, and then someone whose pure job it is to think about who should be the authentic voice of a campaign, having that working in unison really means that things are aligned from the start. And who that type of influencer is, whether it's a celebrity or someone who brings um, knowledge in a particular area or a TikToker um, is interchangeable because of the brief, but having people working together and thinking about how to integrate them into the work rather than it be additive, I think is kind of key to making the most of this space at large. If we're always thinking about it at the end of a process, it's always going to remain this afterthought. Whereas if you're thinking about who to include in a film, who to write a script, who to do a review and give feedback, all of those things that can actually help shape a creative idea in the first place, then it's so much more powerful for numerous reasons. Um, so I think it's, it's, you know, it's easy for me to say, uh, and I think probably everyone goes, well, you need to collaborate. But genuinely, when you work it into your process, that's when it starts to change things rather than, you know, just meaninglessly say, let's collaborate. Um, and that's made a massive difference for us because then it becomes more organic. And I know that's like a bit of a sticky word for a lot of people, but truly, if you're thinking about campaign creation and someone's there representing who that authentic person is, then it is like an organic way to come yeah. up with great ideas for work. When you get down to the, you know, some of that, let's say slightly more, um, you know, we've gone as a creative industry, I guess we, we've kind of managed creativity very tightly. You know, there's, you know, if you think about a, a TV ad or everything is signed off, everything is in that very, very sort of orchestrated fashion. Do you find that brands are comfortable with once they are using creators and they're kind of a, a best practice appear, you know, is really to, to let them 
do an interpretation of that creative strategy mm-hmm. and, and make it their own. Do you feel like that creates tension with brands? Are they comfortable with that? How do you manage I that? Think, so I think that some are and some aren't, which is such a cop-out of an answer, but I'm going to give a bit more context for that. Though, I think. <laughs> yeah, so the, um, the early adopter brands particularly in the direct-to-consumer space, who've been using influencers for like 10 years plus from a creator perspective, um, like a digital creator perspective, they get it. You know, they've, they've learned the lessons of doing this with people in and out, and they've grown up with those people and that landscape. They're on the flip side of that, there are still clients who come to us and we have to do a lot of education around the fact that Yes, you've been told by a media agency that a creator can perform like an ad. But if you really want to get the value out of that investment, you can't think about it like that. It's not about briefing someone to produce a very kind of precise set of messaging in a certain tone with a certain look and feel. You might as well literally go out and shoot an ad. Um, So there is still that need to handhold through the process luckily when you've got the trust of someone who's like okay let's test it I'm not sure you know actually the numbers then speak for themselves and you see that the impact on um, you know brand preference and reputation is so greater impacted if you give a creator the freedom to do something that feels genuine rather than you know product placement got to do this tick all these boxes five rounds of review and so on and so forth i think that you know i think that's what we forget is the reason they have these followings is because of what they do and how they do it so to suddenly try and change that you know seems a um it's mad. definitely seems yeah it's, it's completely counterintuitive so um I, I i think you know maybe there's a misunderstanding around sign off you know mm-hmm. we are there is still the opportunity to sign off what what is going out into the world I think some people think yes. they literally it goes out and they don't get to have any any view of it but um yeah. I, I think that balance is is really important I um will end with uh, maybe two quick questions so the first one you know it, you can't have a conversation about any of these topics without talking about reporting and does it work and all of those things I think you know PR in its widest sense creative marketing is, is, has historically been very seen as a, a brand it's, it's been about reach where do you think that's going now do you are you getting a sense that that connection between creators and their audiences is is sort of paving the way to a more uh, S-commerce and e-commerce uh, and being able to really understand results a bit better? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think we're seeing those two objectives fall into two quite different categories. So we speak a lot to our clients about what influencers can and can't do or more accurate, accurately what we should and shouldn't use them for dependent on the brief. But that's very unique to each sector and client and the, the situation that they're in. Um, and the reality is that mo- most of the time we're still being asked to drive that brand affinity through really powerful content because influencers do that incredibly well. And I fully believe that when that's the goal, 
the comms agency is kind of second to none in helping to do that. So we've become very good at benchmarking that impact. Now, the truth of it is that you can't isolate that work. You have to look at it from a kind of a, a holistic perspective. And I don't think you can drive kind of brand affinity and reputational change by purely working with influencers alone. When you do look at it um, within the halo effect of other forms of marketing and comms, and you do proper econometric modeling, that's actually when you see its real power. But isolating it out and just going, okay, well, we're just gonna look at this one project. It's, you're not seeing the, the bigger picture. And I think um, definitely our larger clients are, are recognizing that and we're, we're kind of involved in those discussions. I think on the flip side, we are working a lot more with um, shopper teams, retail teams, um, when the goal is S-commerce. And we're still involved in that conversation because trackable links and all of the social commerce partners that we have in place do give us the ability to prove value, but we are still in the role of making genuine content that um, feels like it's going to be impactful. And we partner with the right technology or digital teams to really prove that impact. And I, I think at the moment, that's a, a good pairing and it's a good balance between what everyone in that um, kind of portfolio of companies is good at um, and it speaks back to that collaboration again like I don't think we need to do everything um, but for probably the first time ever we are partnering with those groups and we've got visibility of what's working in that sense so you know I think that's going to continue to happen. Fantastic last uh, a little last comment maybe hopefully we've got some curious advertisers listening who are, have maybe not dipped their toe in the water or they've, they've only done the very smallest amount within creator marketing, what would, you, what would your advice be for them like to, to sort of reassure them about you know, starting in this area? I think that what we're seeing from creators at the moment is wicked competition. So people are throwing money at them um, we're seeing them being more selective around who they want to work with. And we're seeing people really think about what they put out into the world. So if you can think about a first step where you have a specific goal, goal in mind to talk about a, a business or brand value, and you can build a small collective of people around that, that shared goal, and then think about how to truly start building relationships with them and not through just briefing them, right? Not just saying, we have a launch and we want you to be part of it, but like invite them in, sit down with them, find out what they care about and how that can connect to what you care about. Because this whole mentality of the value exchange and asking people to help um, build your brand well, you as the, the, the brand can help build theirs as well. It can be a two-way street. Yeah. And by starting there without going into it with like a year-long plan of, we're going to do these three events and these five projects, like don't, don't jump ahead. Just talk to some people, get some good people who can 
um, be the bridge and, and help organize that conversation and start from there. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard and will come along with us as we navigate this journey to the promised land of the creator economy. Make sure to subscribe or follow our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to listen to audio. And of course, we'd love a rating and review if you get the offer. And special thanks to Vicky Chowney for joining us. Make sure to check out more from Whaler and all things at the intersection of a talent network, brand partnerships, technology, and creativity here at whaler.com. For Everything's Better with Creators, I'm Marco Batozzi, and we'll catch you next time. Better with Creators is produced by Whaler. Whaler, we power the creator economy. Learn more at whaler.com. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.